0: Welcome to Elam this morning. Welcome to worship with us. Back in the good old days, when my wife Luanne and I used to sit together in church, we still do, generally, but we could be guaranteed of spending the whole service together, we would come to church, and we were newly married and uh, loving it, still loving it, and, by the way, in case you're wondering, and... We would uh, kind of race into church you know, about two minutes to 11 and we'd sit down and go, ah, we made it. And that was it. I mean, yeah, sure, we paid attention. But we eventually learned to remind ourselves we got into this little habit. We would turn to each other just before the service started and say, now, why are we here? Why are we here? And it's not a Stupid question, really. It's a good question to remind ourselves why are we here? And this morning, I'm going to take a little poll. Kate Fernandez, by the way, Kate is back from England. Whoa, let's say Kate. Okay. If you don't know Kate, you will and you should. But uh, Kate has been in England for the last two years. Uh, working with the church there and learning a lot about God and uh, she's going to help me with something this morning. How many people got a, a slip of colored paper this morning when they arrived? If you don't have one, put up your hand. Thanks, Doug. You, everybody gets one, okay? Everyone gets one. And have faith, Tom. You're, you're, they, they haven't forgotten about you guys, okay? Because you're very important. Hang in there. Jerry needs one at the back. He's in great need. Yeah, keep those hands up. Man, I feel kind of like a Pentecostal preacher. This is kind of exciting feedback, you know? This is brilliant. What we want to do, if we run out of paper, use something in front of you. You don't have to fill out a number in the offering envelope, but I need everyone's feedback, okay? Now, this morning, we're talking about, keep coming, we, any more? We have some lonely, neglected people up here. Okay. Um, we'll get you guys after, okay? Now, hang on to those pieces of paper because they're extremely important. This fall, we're going to be um, studying the whole idea of church and uh, rethinking church. It's kind of our challenge. I used to pastor at a church, or one of my previous churches, where I served as pastor. Webster's Dictionary was given almost as much importance as the Bible. And when we'd have theological discussion or argument, uh, some of the Older people in the church would pull out, Well, Webster's Dictionary states that blah, blah, blah. And they were trying to tell me, for example, what worship was according to Webster's Dictionary. Now, dictionaries are really helpful. Okay? They help us learn how to spell. And when we're learning another language, I always consult the dictionary. But they're not the ultimate authority in spiritual things. But just for curiosity's sake, I consulted Webster's Dictionary and looked for a simple definition of the church. Uh, One is um, a building used for Christian services, right? That's what we call a church. That's good. Um, I don't know what you think uh, or or what you think a church is. Um, In fact, while you've got this, everyone's got a piece of paper, right? I want to ask this very important question before I go any further. Uh, You'll need to grab a pen. There should be one in front of a pew. If if you don't have one, I need you to write this down because we're going to have another mini offering. It won't cost you a dime, but it will cost you about 10 seconds of your time. I want you to write down on your piece of paper, why are you here? Why am I here this morning? Okay. Now, you're all using probably blue ink pens. We haven't planted like a green magic marker so we say, aha, we know what you wrote, okay? So it's completely anonymous. Don't put, your, don't put your name on it, but just write down, why am I here this morning, okay? Generally, the first thing that comes to mind is the best thing, okay? Why am I here? We're going to tabulate the response and have a look at it. And the best answer is the honest answer, okay? Because don't write it to impress the pastor or dazzle anybody or whatever. Just write down, why am I here? And we've got buckets. So let's collect them before you change your mind. I'm just kidding. How many churches do you go to where they take up two offerings? I mean, come on. What a bonus? Okay. So as I was saying, I just want to do a little snapshot about why are you here? And as I was saying, I consulted Webster's Dictionary. It's like, what exactly is church all about? And the first definition listed in West Webster's Dictionary that I found online, a building that is used in Christian religious services. That makes sense. We're familiar with that. Typically, when I explain to people that I'm a pastor, they say, where is your church? And typically, I can give them an address. And the advantage of being at Elam Chapel is that almost everybody knows where U of W is, and they've seen the building, and it's funny the responses you get. People say, oh, I I drive by there all the time. Or, hey, I see the church sign and the clever, witty sayings that there are. I didn't know that was a church. It's amazing how many people walk through our back parking lot and don't realize it's a church because it doesn't look like the stereotypical, you know, the, the classic building that we have from the Portage View. When I was a church center, when I was, Luann and I moved and our family, our young kids moved to eastern Ontario to start a church from scratch in a small town. We did not have a church building. That was a real education and learning what God's intention for church was all about. And there was a man who wrote in the weekly local paper, he would write a feature on local churches. And because it was an older part of Ontario, probably been settled for 200 years, there were a lot of older church congregations around in the area. And every week he would feature a congregation, here is such and such a church, here's a picture of it, here's what it looks like, and that's about it. He was kind of a history buff. So I called this gentleman up one time and said, Hey, would you like to come and do a feature on our church? And he said, Sure. Where is it? Well, I meet, we meet in such and such school gymnasium. And this is where we meet. And he said, Well, we can't. we can't. I can't do that. That's, that's not a church. That's the, it just didn't fit his grid for church. Like, that's not a church. It's not a real church. We didn't have a building. But to be honest... There was more life in that school gymnasium, more spiritual life than many of the places that he featured in the weekly newspaper. I just thought it was kind of ironic. But this, this man's view of church was locked in a certain worldview, right? So one of the definitions of a church, the word church, most popular, a building used for Christian services. Next one. Religious services held in a church. We say, "Where are you going today? What'd you do?" I went to church. Good answer. Okay, don't say the bomber game. Say church. Okay, um, I went to church. That's another definition, right? Um, Robert Louis Stevenson, the man who wrote Treasure Island, apparently was quoted saying, "I've been to church today, and I'm not depressed." Well, that's encouraging. He was talking about religious services. Okay. And if you're familiar with Mr. Bean, um, Mr. Bean goes to church. We won't play it now because I don't want to distract you, but I just wanted to throw Mr. Bean in because I'm a fan. When Mr. Bean goes to church, he's encountering a building and religious services, but not really the heart of what we're, where we're going today. A third definition of church found in Webster's Dictionary is a particular Christian group. And I just threw up some random logos from, this isn't a contest, but just some random logos from various church groups and denominations. Uh, I think they're pretty much all Protestant, um, found in Canada. And maybe someone could point out, I'll give you a hint, the Anglican Church says Anglican on it, and you can figure out the other ones later. So there's three definitions of church. The building a service, or a group of people associated, uh, a particular Christian group. But that's not really where we're headed today. I want to go back to the word for church that's used in the New Testament. It's called ecclesia. This is our Greek lesson. You go home and impress your friends and say, I learned a new word today. Repeat after me. Ecclesia. Ecclesia, right. In Greek, what that literally means is called out ones. Ek means out. And uh, kaleo is the, the idea of where we get called. So when Jesus talks about the church, when we talk about the church in the New Testament, it's about the called out ones. God throughout history has been calling people to himself. It started with Abraham uh, back in uh, Genesis. Abraham was minding his own business, uh, living in his uh, home country of Ur and the Chaldees, kind of in Mesopotamia, modern Iraq, around that area today. And God shows up and says to Abram, his name was Abram at the time, Abram? Pay attention to me. I've got plans for you and your family. I'm going to make you a great nation. And through you, all the people in the world are going to get blessed. Now, here's the plan. We're going to change your location. I'm going to show you where you're going to live. and All your descendants are going to follow me. Your descendants, by the way, are going to be as numerous as uh, the sand in the seashore. Big things ahead for you and your descendants. So God calls Abraham out of where he is, and he goes to another place. And that's kind of how things get started with the the Jewish people. But God didn't stop at one ethnic group. His whole plan, all through the Old Testament and the Bible, was to take these people who were called out of their society, called to be different. It's kind of ironic because Jesus says we're in the world, but not of it. Like, we still live in Winnipeg, but we're called out of society to be different than the people, than our neighbors. And that could cause some dissonance. We shouldn't be surprised at that. So all through the Old Testament, God is working on these people, on the Hebrews, and saying, this is how you should live. This is the relationship that I want to have for you. I want to protect you and guide and provide for you. And, and, and it, it's like he compares it to a marriage relationship. And when they wandered away and were unfaithful to them, it was like, Why are you cheating on me? You're breaking my heart. Why are you doing this? And we say, Come back, come back, come back to me. Eventually, God's plan all along was to have one particular Hebrew, one person from a Jewish background be born, Jesus, to make it possible for all peoples in the world to be in God's family. And so, after Jesus lives, and is executed by a uh, by the Roman authorities at the instigating of the Jewish authorities, and then amazingly, three days later, he comes back from the dead. Hint: Look at the window. That's kind of what it looked like. I think it was amazing. Jesus comes back, and he's only on Earth for another several weeks. But he's gathering around his friends and followers and saying, "Here's the deal." He'd already warned them, I'm not going to be around forever. But after I go, they say, no, no, where are you going? We, We want to come too. No, 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 you guys stay here. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay here, hang out in Jerusalem, and keep praying. And at the right time, I will send my spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God, to be with you. And then you're going to tell the whole world. You'll be witnesses here in your, in your local municipality and then the surrounding areas and those areas across the street, the sketchy places where you don't want to go, you'll be talking to your enemies, and then even to the furthest corners of the planet Earth. That's what you're going to do. So these people, there's only a, not a big crowd, but, well, 120. We have probably a little more than that today. Imagine, they just stay and they pray and they pray and they pray. And they keep praying. And one day, imagine if we were just, imagine if Jesus had done that. If we were the only followers of Jesus on planet earth. And he looks at us and says, okay guys, something really big is going to come. I just want you to stay here and seek me and pray and pray and pray. Just be in my presence. Just keep seeking me and saying, Lord, show up, reveal yourself to us. You know, if there's anything getting in the way, get that out. Just, just help us connect with you. How would you feel? You pray for days and days, wondering what's going to happen. And then, all of a sudden, boom, they're praying, and the roof practically blows off the place. There's wind going around. It looks like things, like tongues of fire falling on people. And all of a sudden, people are praising God in such a variety of languages. Do you know what? We could probably pull that off today. I just had a thought. Uh, some of us, a lot of us grew up speaking English, but a lot of us didn't. So whatever language you were taught by your parents, I want you to say two words right now on the count of three, okay? I want you to say, praise Jesus, okay? Praise Jesus or Praise God but whatever language you grew up speaking. Okay? All right? Don't be embarrassed because this is Canada and we've got, it just, I love diversity. Okay? So we're going to try it. One, two, three. Praise Jesus. Say that again. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Praise Jesus. Wow. Cool. It's a little bit what I like except it went on on and on and on and on and it was awesome and people came in saying, What in the world is going on? These people are drunk. That's what some people are saying. They accuse them of being, you know, eh, having beer in their cornflakes that, that that morning. And then one of the guys said, Peter says, Look, it come get real. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Come on. This is the Holy Spirit that God promised all through the Old Testament, and now He's come. And now you gotta pay attention because this Jesus that you guys just recently killed. He's the son of God. So pay attention. And that's how the church got started. And God was in the process of calling people out. He's always been in the process. He's in his dealings with the human race. He loves all the people. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But he's been in the process of calling people out to follow him. Now today, when we think of calling somebody out, we say... Hey, Doug, I don't like what you did. And, you know, by the, by the way, we need to talk. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm teasing him because he's safe and I think he knows my heart. I, I know he does. But, so it's not calling it in that way. It's like, hey, come and follow me. That's what Jesus did, right? He was always messing up people's employment plans for the future. Uh, he, he builds a relationship with, um, Peter and James and John and Andrew and those guys who are working away and he shows up at work one day and says, why don't you guys you know what, just quit everything and follow me. Matthew, who's got a really good job skimming off, you know, the, the, the tax revenues for the Roman government he's a pretty affluent guy, even though his neighbors hate his guts Jesus comes along and says you know Matthew, come on come with me What a diverse group of guys. Only 12 of them, you know. There's some guy who was a zealot, Simon the Zealot. He was a revolutionary, right? He follows Jesus too. And I don't know why Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector didn't kill each other. Normally they would. They'd be so opposite or opposed. But there's something about following Jesus that that blends these guys into a loving family. It's like that... um, passage that was read this morning from Ephesians, uh, Jews and Gentiles being pulled together into the same family unit. It was amazing. So on that day, we call it the day of Pentecost, um, when the Holy Spirit showed up and boom, the church started, it was amazing. And here's what happened. Oh, by the way, uh, the church is us. That's the secret answer. The church primarily is us. It could be a building, it could be a religious service, it could be a group, an organization of of Christian believers. But primarily, the Bible says, the church is who? Us. Okay? So when people say, where is your church? They're, they're all over the place. They're all over Winnipeg. Or a, a previous place. And, and actually, some people do this when they come in their buildings. They say, wow, you have a lovely church. And I know what they mean, but I'm thinking, the real church isn't here. you got to be here on a Sunday morning, and I'll show you something lovely. I'll show you something beautiful. If you could see what I could see, that's awesome. And we'll experience that some more when we have lunch together. That'll be even more awesome. Not just because we're eating cylindrical steaks, but because we'll be doing church together. We'll be enjoying each other and, 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 and being together. And that's the family of God. And that, friends, is absolutely beautiful. So when people say, oh, you have a lovely church, I say, well, it's a nice building, but you should see the church. The church is really the people. And they go, they look at me a little weird, but I'm used to people doing that with me, so I just continue. I'm trying to convert people one by one in Canada to understand that the church is us. The church is people. So anyway, in this day of Pentecost, what happened? What did they do? What happened after that amazing day? Because after Peter preaches and explains what's going on, 3,000 people joined the 120 people already worshiping Jesus and things got off to a booming start. Well, here's what they did. They devoted themselves. They really intentionally made a part of their lives to the apostles' teachings. The apostles were the, the, the guys who had followed Jesus around and learned from him. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, hanging out and being in each other's lives, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers, all the people who were believing in Jesus, they were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's what the church looked like right at the beginning. It wasn't a building. It wasn't a service. It wasn't a group of Christian organizations. It was us. It was people. Filled with the Spirit of Jesus, which, if you've ever experienced that, you know what I'm talking about. It is a total game changer in our lives. So that's what it looks like. We are called out. We are called out to follow Jesus. And that's what was happening that day. These folks were called out to be God's community, God's family on earth. To go out and invite people to follow Jesus and also be to a welcoming place where people can come and find out what Jesus is like. And what happened as a result of them doing all these things? Daily, the Lord, it was the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, which is great, which is awesome. That's what the church looks like when it's healthy. So I am not sure how this lines up with what you put down on your piece of paper. And really, there's no wrong answer, okay, in filling up that piece of paper. We're going to have fun looking at them and digesting them. And Kate, you're not reading them ahead of time, are you? I would be. But anyway, good on you. Um, Okay, that's who I am. Um, But that's something that we're going to explore this fall. And we're going to unpack this passage in Acts 2 and figure out, okay, the the, the early church was doing these things. What can we learn about these things? And how can we implement them in our time, and our culture? And what could that look like? But I want you to remember, friends, that the church is us. So when we complain about the church, we say, well, the church should be doing something about that. Well, the church is us. Or why doesn't the church do this? Why isn't it more like this? Well, the church is us. And God designed um, his church to be a a loving community, a loving family, where if we're in need, we support each other and love each other and share. And I'll give you a practical example of something that's coming up. Jerry, our sound guy, who's, I'd say, pretty much universally loved. Well, let's just assume that. Uh, Jerry's daughter, uh, Janelle, is, uh, do, they're doing a fundraiser for her uh, to raise money for a service dog that Janelle requires for day-to-day life. And I met Macy the other day. What a delightful... Beast. Macy is really kind. And uh, so we're having a fundraiser for uh, Jerry's daughter and Macy on September 24. We'll show you a video clip of it. Now if you happen to be a fan of Elvis and or Neil Diamond, it's a bonus. If you don't particularly, that doesn't float your boat, come anyway because we get to see Jerry's alter ego and I would pay money to see that. It's a fundraiser. You can find out more about it There's tickets available with Jerry and and, and down at the office. And the reason I threw in that commercial is because I wanted to make it an application and an invitation. This is something that God's family does to have each other, to have our back, have each other's backs, and to support each other and love each other. It's just a practical thing to do. And when people do this, when they live out the teachings of Jesus, not just in their heads, but they actually put them into practice, it's amazing. Amazing things happen. God changes us using the most unlikely people and the most unlikely means. And we get to understand what it looks like to be adopted into God's family. And this place, God's destiny for this gathering, for this group of people, is to be a place of grace and truth where God's Spirit will be living in people and helping us to love each other and accept each other and even in our, the midst of our, our diversity there will be a unity there that's not manufactured, that's not comes out of political correctness or Canadian politeness or anything like that. It's the Spirit of God. That is a total game changer. So the church is us. And I hope you stick with us this fall and dive into this and learn to experience what God intends the church to be all about. Not a building, not primarily a building, not primarily a religious service, not primarily a a group of Christian organizations, but the church is us with God's presence here. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, We're so glad that you're here this morning and you've been shaping the service and shaping our experience as we pray and worship and give together and connect. I pray that you be with us in the next phase of our time together and that you'll teach us this fall. You teach us what church, what your intention for the church really is. You know that the church is us, that you live in us, And that we're called out people, called to follow Jesus. As we pursue that calling together in Canada in the year 2016, I pray that you'll be with us to guide us and protect us and give us your power to follow Jesus. We are eagerly anticipating how you're going to answer this prayer. Amen.